That just hits too close to home. <laughs> I think I could have waited till she walked out of the room. But, but temptation, right? Gratification, something that we want right now. Um, we can delay that. We can de- defer that. And you can have better and more. And, or, you can, or you can take it right away and get it. And, and I don't know about you, but it's... It just hits so close to home with the kind of temptation. Of, we want it now. We, 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 uh, we're after that. We call that delayed or deferred gratification. And it's, it's the ability um, to, uh, to choose to resist temptation uh, for, uh, for, of immediate reward in favor of a later or a greater reward. We're willing to set aside something now and in, in, in deprive ourselves for something that is far greater and better later on. And uh, I don't know, anybody been on a diet here? You know, well, a few of us maybe. You know what I hate when, when I've said, you know, I've got to lose some weight. And, and, and then you get invited for some incredible meal at somebody's house. And they've got twice-baked potatoes that are stuffed with everything gooey. They've got steak. There are, there are uh, hot, fresh uh, breadsticks. Um, there are desserts. Did I say desserts with an S? Yes, I did. And you go there and he said, excuse me, would you have like a celery stick or a carrot stick or something? And, and you want to be good. And, and, and it's so hard to do that. But you know that the payoff on that is that you can feel better. That you can lose weight, you can do something for your health, you, you can make your, you can extend your life. There's so many things you can do. You feel better, you look better. And, and, and uh, in, in this kind of thing, you've got to be willing to set aside immediate gratification for something that is longer term and better ultimately. Think of, a, think of an athlete that wants to be in the Olympics, you know, up at 4.30 in the morning, going and training, working hard, missing out on social events, being in bed early, um, restricting your diet, and, and, and what they give up because they have a goal of something that they want to achieve, something that's better. And when they stand on that podium, they think, you know what, it was worth all of the sacrifice we have. And advertisers are so zoned into how to push our buttons, uh, our desire for instant gratification, and they play into that kind of thing. Um, you want it? Well, why wait? You can have it now. You don't have the money? That's fine. You, you've got credit. You can buy it on credit. Um, and, and sometimes it, it sounds like this. Um, no payments for 18 months. No interest. Get it now. Get it now. And, and, you know, there are a lot of people who have never had the privilege of figuring out what it is to save for something and buy it outright. But, but we've, been, we've been pushed and, and advertisers work on us in that way. Uh, that we want something now. We want to find satisfaction in something now. Not something 
that we want to get later. Delayed gratification affects so many areas of our life. Uh, we talked about physically and, and our health and academically. You know, uh, I, you know, can you young people, can you just turn out, tune me out for a second? I know I don't tell you to tune me out, but tune me out in this case. When I was in grade 12, I wasn't great in math. I didn't like math and I didn't work hard at it. And at the time of my final exam in math in grade 12, uh, I went to a buddy's place and we jammed. That's music. <laughs> Butter and jam. And, and uh, till about one in the morning. And I failed that exam. I was, I was stupid, okay? Don't do what I did. But, but I, I wanted some instant gratification. I didn't want to work hard and sacrifice so I could achieve that. And so in, in even areas like that, uh, we see what happens to us. And, and, and so I want to say that though this also applies in the spiritual realm. Um, we've, been, we've been listening to Jesus, and, and last week Jesus has been telling us what it is to be a follower of his and, and, and what you have to do. And, and he says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be willing to uh, put me ahead of all of your relationships, all of your closest relationships. I trump those. Um, I, 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 you've got to set aside your own self-will for my will. Uh, you've got to be willing to give up and, and, and willing to abandon uh, loving possessions more than you love me. Uh, and, and he goes through and, and, and has all these difficult challenges for us. And, and if you're going to follow Christ, this is the kind of thing and this is the kind of life you have to live. And, you know, frankly, you go, well, like I, I see people enjoying things that I'm not enjoying or doing things that I have set aside for the sake of following Christ. And um, it's a hard truth. It calls for dedication. But all of this has a bearing on us and, uh, and where we're going in our life and that God may call us to delay gratification because the payoff is so much better. And temptation will come to us in many ways. And one of those temptations is, get it now, do it now. Uh, that's, what, that's what we're confronted with. Well, there's a story in the New Testament in uh, Luke chapter 16, and I want to read it for you. It's a story of two people. It's a story of two people that uh, have a different... Uh, a different lot in life. And the story goes like this, beginning at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat from what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. 
while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted, and here you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but but if someone was to go from the dead, um, they would repent. And he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be convinced even as someone rises from the dead. In this account... Uh, we set up this contrast between, between two people, between two men. Uh, the distinction can, uh, is, is, uh, is incredible between the two. They, they couldn't be more distinct, further apart. In this story, uh, and, and Bible scholars are not sure whether this is a parable that Jesus made up or it was an actual account or story. Uh, the one thing that pushes them to that is that there's no other parable in which Jesus actually names a person by a name. It's just a man or a ruler or uh, some, some description, but not a name. But this guy has a name. And it, it doesn't really matter, though, because the point will be clear of what Jesus is making uh, through this. And so I want to look at their life. Um, I want to look first at their life during this period when when they're alive here's what they look like here's here's who they are the first man we're confronted with is uh, the rich man it says there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and he lived in luxury every day here's a guy who um, is distinguished by his dress Uh, How do you measure uh, affluence? Uh, It seems to me that we are intrigued with affluence. We're intrigued with people of means. Um, We we look at them and we're enamored. If if you meet somebody and and they're very affluent, the friend will say, do you know, she owns such and such a business. Do you know he has all of these real estate holdings? Do you know that they are, they're re- reported to have uh, over a billion dollars in assets? And when we're, we're, really, uh, we're really kind of taken by that. Or maybe their fame or notoriety or status. or There's something about it and it intrigues us. And, and here's this rich man and he's instantly recognizable as being a man of means because of his clothing. He's dressed in purple. Say, I like purple. Well, if you wanted a purple garment back in Jesus' time, uh, how you would do it, there was, there was certain um, kind of sea snails that you'd have to go uh, to a place where there was ocean. And they would get these sea snails, and it would take them piles and piles of them, and they would crush them, and they, they had this purple uh, dye that would come out so to see somebody wearing purple knew that 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 cost them a ton of money to have something like that Uh, not only was it that uh, but this is a guy is not only in purple and that was probably a woolen garment but he had an undergarment that was made of fine linen I mean, when Jesus talks about coming back and, and bringing us back, he talks about 
linen and fine linen. This guy had designer underwear uh, under his cloak. I mean, he was a person of means. And, uh, and so, not only that, but he eats the finest food. He, he has an abundance. He lives in luxury, it says, every day. A lavish feast. It was extravagant. Um, his home also was, was something to behold because the average person in, in uh, Jesus' time would have a small home. It could be 10 or uh, 12 foot by 12 foot or something like that, a little dividing wall, a place where you st- slept, a place where you, you made food. And, uh, but this guy, we know that he has some kind of a place because it has a gate. And that gate was probably something that was very tall and very ornate. He lived in a gated community, if you want. You couldn't, you couldn't get in there. He had security. And uh, the interesting thing uh, is this man, uh, it, it was thought by many people in his day that this guy must have been a very godly person because God's blessing was on him. Look at all the things he has. And they were pretty impressed with this guy. Um, sign of God's favor. Now, by contrast, we're going to be introduced uh, to Lazarus. And uh, at his gate, in front of this guy's gate, was laid a beggar. Now, was laid there, he, he probably was either crippled or he was uh, in such poor health that he couldn't walk. So people would take him. And, and if you want a panhandle, if you want, if you want to get some money and, and somebody to pity you, you want to be in a place where you thought you had prospects of getting money. You wouldn't want to go where all these poor people are. So he was set there outside the gate of this rich man's uh, palace. And uh, he was looking for somebody, somebody's charity, their kindness to, to give him something. His health was tenuous. His body was riddled with sores and wounds. And uh, uh, there would be packs of dogs. And, in, you know, I know in, in, in places in India where I've been, they're, they're street dogs. They're nobodies. They, they just exist on the street and they scavenge for what they can get. And here is this, uh, here is this beggar without means, without charity. He's poor, he's crippled, he's too weak to do anything for himself. He's got oozing sores all over his body. Nobody wants to really get near him. And uh, with this tenuous health, here are dogs that are uh, licking his wounds. And, and we might think at first, well, isn't, isn't that wonderful that the dogs showed him pity by licking his wounds? That wasn't a pity. This, it was an annoyance. Get these dogs out of here. But he, he, couldn't, he couldn't even ward them off. And, uh, and so here, here he was lying there. And, uh, and ultimately, people who weren't buried, and if there were bodies laying out, dogs would feed off that kind of, uh, of uh, thing. So Lazarus' hope is that he might find some scraps that would fall from the rich man's table. He was thinking, if only, you know, the things that, fl- that go on the floor and you, you throw them out into the street, or, or the hopes that somebody would take, and in, in, for rich people, they would use bread and they would mop up the gravy or something like that, and uh, just throw it out. Uh, it'd be like somebody rummaging through a garbage can, trying to find some food that had been thrown out. And uh, so here he was, and uh, there was nothing coming his way. 
He'd hope that there would be some kind of mercy. He hoped that in his state, this person would care enough about him. But sadly, that wasn't the case. And so here we have the lot of two people who are extreme opposites, polar opposites. And the interesting thing is Lazarus, interestingly enough, whose name means God is my help. Um, is he's unrecognized by the rich man, but not by God. He, God. God is my helper, is his name. Here he was in this state. And uh, the thing is, we know we don't all live forever. And so we have not only these two contrasting people in life, we have them contrasted in death, or in the afterlife. And so we read very simply about Lazarus' state. We read that the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. This guy's miserable existence is finally over. His pain, his, his uh, hunger, his sorrow, his inability to be comforted. He's lying there and now his death comes and he's relieved of that. And it says that the angels carried him. He went with an angelic entourage and was taken to Abraham's bosom. There, Abraham, the kind of beginning of the faith of Israel, the place where where uh, the identity of who was God's people. And there he is embraced as a child of God, as, as a son of the covenant, as one of God's people. And, uh, and we, we read elsewhere too in Luke about incredible banquets that God would have for his people. So, so now, what he did not get in life, he's now receiving. He's accepted. He's loved. He's comforted. There's joy and security and identity and abundance. And he's home in God's place for him. And the past has been absolutely reversed. And he has this incredible advantage. Something that he didn't have in life, he now has. Well, by contrast, the rich man, his state was not good. The rich man also died and he was buried. There's no mention that uh, Lazarus was buried. But here the rich man has, is buried. And that was very important to Jews. It was very important to Romans to have a proper funeral, a proper burial of, of uh, a person's body. And so he gets what a rich person would get. Um, but uh, that's not where it would end. See, he wouldn't end up in the same place that, uh, that Lazarus was. He was buried in, in Hades, some, sometimes translated hell. This is a place where people go before the final judgment. Um, he, he's in Hades, and he was in torment. And he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. Because I'm in agony in this fire. Abraham, there was, there was uh, he could see and understand and perceive something. He, he, was, 
he was uh, cognizant and aware of what was happening. And, and he calls out and, and he said, do you think you could get Lazarus to dip his, the, the tip of his finger in some water and touch my tongue? I, I'm in torment. We don't know. We're not exactly sure what, uh, what that torment is, whether it, was, whether it was literal fire or literal heat. And, but, but often that's used as, as speaking about desire. The desires we have that, that can never be quenched. It, could, could he just stick his finger in and touch my tongue? Could he do something like that? And so we see this incredible reversal of what's going on. Lazarus had nothing. He was hoping for a scrap for a morsel that would fall off the table. And now the, the tables have been turned. And, and here we have the rich man saying... Could I get just a drop of water? Could, 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 could Lazarus do that? And just All I want is a drop of water. Could I, could I get just that? No, you can't. It's interesting because he says, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here. And you are in agony. You can't have that. You know... There is an afterlife that all of us will have to deal with. And, and, and uh, there are two, two places. There are two finalities that we are confronted with. One is to be with God and all that he has for us. And the other is to have rejected him and to be in a place that is separated from God. And yet there's a consciousness because you know, you know that there's something going on. And I think that's... That's the worst part of hell. And uh, so seeing this thing uh, and, and the state that he's in is in torment. There's this conscious awareness that Lazarus has something that he doesn't have and he can't change that now. He, he assumed that with his status, he may be able, as he did in life, to get what he wants through his status, through the, the material uh, goods he had, through the money he had. He was hoping, now, can you send Lazarus to be a servant to me? Can you send him to do this? Sorry, we can't do that. Your, your fate is sealed. You had good things. You didn't care about other people. You didn't share with other people. You were self-centered. You, you were arrogant. And, and now you have your final state. And, and Lazarus has his. And so he's tormented. Well, that was his question. Can, can, can you do this? Um, and he says this, Besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm has been set in place. Those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. I think, I think one of the worst things about being eternally separated from God and yet being consciously aware is to think of all the things and the opportunities that we had that we rejected. To think that, that we, we, we weren't interested in God and what God wanted from us. We, we wanted instant gratification. We wanted what we wanted. And we weren't willing to set aside those things in favor of something that would be lasting and eternal on the other side. And uh, so he goes on to say, uh, he has a concern for his family. And so he says, 
And then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to that place uh, and, and come to this place of torment. He, he now shows some concern for his brothers. I've got my family. I, they need to hear this. This is important. This is critical. This, this is terrible. And, and so his request is, now, now can, you, can you send somebody to, can you send Lazarus to do that? Can you send him as a servant to tell my brothers? And he's told, no, you, you can't do that. You can't go from here to there. Abraham replies, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes back to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. He said, Abraham said, they have, they have the Old Testament. They have the Bible. They have the word of God. Yeah, but, but you don't understand. If something incredible were done, if, if there was a miracle, if somebody went back from the dead to tell them, then surely they would listen. There would be hope for them there. There'd be hope to change. You know, some people reject Jesus Christ and, and their attention is, it, it's this. You know, I'm, I'm not saying no to it. Just not now. Because I know that I know that if I follow what Jesus wants, it's going to interfere with what I want. And so I'm living the life that I want to live. I want to sow some wild oats. I want to have fun. I want to do my thing. And, uh, and you never know because you don't always have another chance. And God's grace, by his grace, he reaches out over and over and over again to us. And, and it's, you know what? I don't want to say no, just sometime other. You know, this concern for his family also seems like a very noble thing. But I think maybe he is trying to, you know, maybe he's trying to get his family into heaven, if you will, into Abraham's bosom, into paradise, so that they could leverage some, some uh, influence on his destiny as well. But he says that's not possible and he says, if they won't listen, if they won't listen to the Bible, if they won't listen to God's word, they won't listen if somebody comes back from the dead. You know, it's interesting to me, uh, you know, sometimes when, when people are in dire, dire physical state, and, and I've had so many people say this to me, wouldn't it be incredible if God raised this person, because now medically they're, they're, uh, there's no hope for them. The medical profession has said that there's nothing. Wouldn't it be incredible if, if God would raise that person up and so many people would come to Christ and, and it, w- it would be fantastic. If they saw the power of God, then they would believe. And you know what? That's not necessarily so. It's interesting to see Jesus and all of the miracles that he produced. We, we looked last week at, at um, the feeding of the 5,000. They're ready to force Jesus to be their king. And then he starts talking crazy talk. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, why well, you can't follow, you can't be a follower, you can't have eternal life, and, and, and people leave. I mean, they saw all of these incredible miracles. In, in fact, Jesus said, woe to you, Bethsaida and Chorazin, and if the miracles that had been done in you in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. 
You've seen enough. I think one of the most damning things is, uh, is uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Not this Lazarus, but Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus. And it was an undeniable miracle. Four days in the grave and, and Jesus speaks the word and he comes to life. And do you know what the response is? The religious leaders? We got to put this guy to death. Because if he keeps going, people will believe in him and we'll lose our influence and our power. You know, we think, oh, you, you know, if, if just, if they could see these things, they would really believe and it just isn't so. So here we have um, here we have two destinies of these people. And and listen, folks. I've said before, every person who comes to faith in, in, in Christ, it is an absolute miracle of the grace of God. And the word of God uh, convicts and brings them. Uh, to understand and to believe. But there's also a refusal to believe. Jesus calls us to faithfulness in our life. And we don't get it all in this life. We we don't cash in on everything. There's some things that, that, that we will forego because there's something better coming. And, and you remember when Jesus talked to the, the rich ruler and uh, he was unwilling to part with his wealth. And the disciples said, who, who then can be saved? And, and Jesus said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Peter says, hey, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Is there anything in it for us? Yes, in this life and the life to come. It just doesn't maybe look the same way in all of those places. But it will be absolutely worth it all. Whatever inconvenience you've gone through, whatever you've had to endure for the sake of Christ, whatever pain or loss, if you've delayed gratification because you wanted something better, you're a wise person. Uh, So while journeying the path of Christ, uh, Jesus was faithful. And, And he said, look it, I've got to be honest with you guys. There can be tough times. You're going to follow, with, you're going to follow me. You're going to have some problems. You'll have some issues. Uh, be, all because you're following me. But don't worry. It, it will be absolutely worth it. And, um, and Jesus' life himself was, uh, was really an example for us. Jesus' example was this. Remember we started, we said that uh, Luke uh, casts the story of Jesus from Luke 9.51 through to the middle of uh, chapter 19. Almost 40% of his whole gospel is this journey that Jesus goes for the last time to Jerusalem. And as he starts, as, as we start this whole section of Luke's gospel, it says this, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. What I want to point out to you there is this. This meant he was going to the cross. This meant he was going to agony and suffering and death and humiliation and and all of what went with that. But he didn't say, I've got to go to the cross 
and I'm setting my face toward Jerusalem, though that was the reality, he went beyond that as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven. He saw past all of that and saw the final goal that we win and I will provide salvation for the world, for everyone who will turn in faith to me. And and so I'm looking beyond all the trials and the sorrows and I am seeing for myself that I'll be taken back to heaven and everything will be right. And, and folks, that's it for us. In the journey, we can say, man, this is terrible. But, but, there, but what God wants us to look at and to focus on is the future and what he will do for us. And, and so his exaltation, his resurrection, his ascension, his being seated at the right hand of the Father, all of those things, that's the goal he's going toward. And he has to walk through Calvary to get there. And you and I will have to walk through sometimes suffering to get to where God wants us to be. And you'll have to set aside immediate gratification in favor of things that are far more important than that. And I think one of the most beautiful places where we see this in Scripture is in uh, the book of Philippians, where it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What is that mindset? Who, being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used on his own advantage. He's laying aside immediate gratification for something better in the future. Uh, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, here's the payoff. God exalted him to the highest place and, get, and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here is Jesus beginning his public ministry. He's just been baptized by John. And he's, Luke tells us he's, he, the, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And he'll be 40 days without eating or drinking. And he'll undergo temptation there. And in that temptation, it'll be, uh, you know, you're hungry. You haven't eaten for a long time. Come on, turn these. No. How about this one? Let's go to the pinnacle in the temple. Let's go to this, this place high where we can look at all of this and, 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 and uh, excuse me, take this high place and see all of the kingdoms of the world. And here's what Satan said. You know, Jesus, you really don't have to go through this whole cross thing. This is all mine and I can give it to you. Um, all you have to do is worship me. Worship me and, you, and you, you can avoid that. It can be immediate gratification for you. You don't have to go through all that stuff. You're going to do three some years of ministry here. And then, and then you're going to have to go to the cross. You don't have to do that. Just worship me and I'll give it all to you. And thankfully, Jesus never went for immediate gratification. He, he always kept his eye on the prize and what it would take for him to be there. And so the call to us, my friends, is this, to remain faithful. To remain faithful, to, to put not immediate desires of our own, but to follow him. To be willing to keep on that journey 
and end uh, in immeasurable blessing with no regrets. The Apostle Paul looked at his life and here's what he said. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy, uh, worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Is it tough? Yes, it can be tough. Are there difficulties? Are there trials? Yes, there can be. Is there this overwhelming temptation that is pulling you away from what God wants for you? Yes. But compared to the glory that will be revealed, it will, it, it's not worth it not to follow Christ. And some of us are dealing with stuff in our life right now where we know we're, we're, we've stepped over a line and we're not doing what God wants us to do and we're, we're doing the immediate thing. It could be a relationship. It could be your finances. It could be any number of things. But you know you're not doing what God... You haven't put aside that for something better. And, and that's what he wants us to do. I remember, and I, I've shared this before, but Gerda and I have had the privilege of leading one of her sisters and his husband to, to trust Christ. And when we talked to them, as we had many discussions about this kind of thing, um, I sensed there was something a little bit holding them back. And I said, is it that you... Maybe look at our life and think, you know, we don't do some things that you do. And, you know, I don't know whether we want to do that. And, uh, and they had to come to a decision. Is it like what we want, immediate gratification? Or are we willing to maybe set aside some things to follow God for a much bigger payoff? And gra- gratefully, they... God opened their heart, and all of those issues that they thought would be issues were not issues. Um, It will be worth it all. It'll be worth it all. I want to call our our, uh, servers to come to the table at this time, please, and our musicians. Um, It will be worth it all. It's interesting uh, to me there was a uh, there was a woman uh, who was uh, in ill health, and uh, she asked she asked if the pastor would come and see her, and uh, she wanted to talk about her funeral, and so the pastor sat down with her and she said, "Now, pastor, there's something that I want to do in my funeral. While I'm in the casket, I've asked." that someone will place a fork in my hand. And the pastor thought, like, that's weird. What, what are you thinking? Well, she was, she was one of the main people on their kitchen committee, and when they would have something to eat, uh, they would have a, a meal or a potluck or whatever it was, she would go out and tell the people, now, listen, everybody, keep your fork. And uh, you say, well, what do you want to keep your fork for? Because dessert is coming. And she said, when people ask, why is that fork there? You tell them, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I want to read from you, from Matthew's Gospel. Because as we prepare our hearts uh, for communion... I want, you to, I want you to think about something that Jesus says. 
He says this, while they were eating bread, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Jesus, in communion, said, we're not going to be having this meal again until I have it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. There's something that's, that lies ahead that is so incredibly beautiful and desirous and, and you may have to, like Jesus, go through some things, but ultimately, he reminds us, no, there's a time when, when there, it's, pay, it's payoff time, and you'll enjoy everything I have for you. In the meantime, there's that struggle. I just want to say to you, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, um, this, is, this is a sober, sober truth. There are two destinies we have. And, and we, can, we can choose to follow God or we can choose to just do what we want. Be our own boss. Be our own God. And, and uh, there, there are dire consequences to those decisions. And so I just reach out to you with all the love and compassion of Christ and say that he's opening his arms. If you haven't yet trusted him, he invites you to run into his arms and embrace you and and find grace to forgive your sins through what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us. And and that he, he will make you his child if you will put your faith and trust in what he did to save your soul through dying and being resurrected to life. And if you haven't done that, you can do that just quietly there in your own mind and in your own heart. God knows your heart. And you can pray to him. And you can confess your sin, to tell him that you're a sinner, to acknowledge that he died for you, and that you believe that he died for you, and you're putting your trust and your confidence and faith in what he did. And he will... He will make you his child. He'll forgive you. You'll, you'll become one of his children. And uh, I, it's, it's not so much the words, but acknowledging and saying to him. And if you do that today, I want to invite you when we come up um, to come up and take communion with us. And uh, if, if this is something that you'd want to talk further with, we would be happy, or any number of people would be happy to discuss that with you. Father, we thank you so much um, for what you have done for us in Christ. We thank you for Jesus and all he has done. We bow humbly in gratitude before you and thank you. We pray, Father, that as we receive these emblems and, and we participate in this meal that is hosted by you, that we would remember what you've done for us, that we would remember our commitment and our baptismal confession that we would follow you. Help us to be faithful in that. Forgive us, Father, for our sins 
when we, as we come to this table, that we would not take this lightly, but we would examine our hearts and ask for forgiveness for those things that are yet unconfessed. And Father, I pray that you would um, help us to see what is, lies ahead for us in Christ. And that, Father, we would commit ourselves to living faithfully for you for the long haul, not just for what gratifies us in the moment. And so we thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen.